It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is happening? What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you for subscribing. I appreciate that. And thank you for becoming a patron. I appreciate that the most. Uh, Patrons, for example, like Nick and Catherine and Monica and Les, Mary, Eric, Peggy, Tavis, Kristen, Beth and Dal, Kim, Eugene, Brian, Jonathan, they all became patrons of the program to support it, and uh, I am forever indebted. Uh, And you can too, by the way. I can be indebted to you. I mean, not in any kind of like tangible monetary way. But, you know, just from my heart, I appreciate it. (laughs) Um, Seriously, though, you get access to the live streams. We're doing one tonight. So if you're interested in hanging out at 7 o'clock on a Thursday night, that's when we do them. And uh, you just go to thepetecalendarshow.com, and uh, there's a link at the top. And you can subscribe. You can become a patron. You get access to the show prep. Uh, any uh, interviews that I do with other radio stations and such, I put them up there first so you get early access to a lot of that content. So uh, come on in. The water is fine. Alrighty, so three bills, three pieces of legislation comprising the thrust of legislative election integrity efforts advanced through the North Carolina Senate Committee on Redistricting and Elections this week. Uh, This is from the piece by Jeff Moore at the CarolinaJournal.com, CarolinaJournal.com. The first bill, uh, this is Senate Bill 724. Basically, remember, back in March, we covered some of this. The the, uh, Republican leadership, they did a news conference. They outlined the various components of their election integrity efforts. And so now they've got three bills. They're running them through the committee, Senate Bill 724. Uh, That expands absentee voting access through portals uh, online for the visually impaired. It also allows online voter registration submissions via the State Board of Elections, again, online. And it would establish a program to distribute free ID cards to people who are unable or uninterested in leaving their home to get one. These are the mobile ID units. I think the cost uh, they've uh, been kicking around is like $5 million. They want to uh, earmark for this operation. Now, for folks on the left who are never satisfied with any kind of efforts from Republicans on election integrity, uh, they criticize the creation of this mobile unit because they're like, we're not going to be able to argue that people can't get free IDs then. I'm kidding. No, that that is, I I suspect that's probably (laughs) at play here. They're worried about losing a talking point um, because the weak opposition, the arguments that I actually hear go along the lines of, um, well, we're just worried that the Republicans are going to dictate where the mobile units will go and where they won't go. In other words, they won't go to areas where Democrats live. Which is kind of bizarre because the Board of Elections, the State Board of Elections, uh, is controlled by Democrats. (laughs) It's controlled by Democrats. Majority Democrat, the the director of the State Board of Elections, Karen Brinson-Bell, is a Democrat uh, appointed by the Democratic Board and the governor. So I I don't understand where this criticism comes from. Again, I think it has more to do with the actual solving of a problem that then eliminates a talking point that Democrats have relied upon in order to block uh, voter integrity efforts. 
So that's the first piece of legislation. The second piece is Senate Bill 725, and uh, this one would prohibit state and local boards of elections and uh, county boards of commission, so the county commissioners, it would prohibit them from accepting private donations directly or indirectly in order to conduct elections or employ people on a temporary basis using that money. So what is this about? Do, do you remember we talked a few months ago with a fellow by the name of Hayden Ludwig from the Capital Research Center about Zuckbucks? Do you remember this? This is Mark Zuckerberg. This is the response that uh, conservative Republican legislatures all around America, uh, they've, been in, uh, they've been enacting. This is the reaction, okay? Zuckerberg funded with billions, I believe, billions of dollars, boards of election operations throughout America. But for, well, not really, well, not throughout all of America, just for some reason in the swing states. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they targeted their efforts at swing states. And if you look at where the money went, it went to predominantly Democrat areas. So we're going to get into this because in a question that was directed to Republican Senator Ralph Heise from Western North Carolina, Senator Natasha Marcus, the uh, Democrat from Mecklenburg, she said, look, I understand we should avoid the appearance of undue influence in the elections, but... My concern, however, is that I know that in the 2020 election, 97 counties in our state needed additional funding beyond what this General Assembly appropriated in order to run a safe and secure election. We aren't funding elections. We haven't funded elections well enough, and certainly not in 2020. Um, and so my concern is if we're turning down private money, instead of trying to make sure that it doesn't have any strings attached and there's no funny business going on and it's um, all on the up and up, instead, instead we're just turning it all down before it's even offered. But I don't see a plan for making up that. It was $4.1 million that our state needed in counties 97, so pretty much everywhere in our state needed additional funding. And I don't see a plan for how we make up that difference if we pass this bill. Senator Heiss. Uh, Senator Marcus, uh, I believe to correct you, uh, having been a mayor before, that uh, elections are paid for by county commission, by local entities, yeah. not by the state <laughs> right. uh, in those operations. So uh, the state is not necessarily in the business of appropriating the money for those elections. Uh, I know when I was mayor, we paid for our elections uh, every year at great cost to the town. Uh, the counties have done so. I hear from counties all the time the cost of new voting equipment and other things when the state forces them to change and doesn't pay for those. So uh, it may not be a state entity to do that. Uh, what the county commissioners have failed to appropriate uh, to conduct the elections in their counties, uh, I'd be more than happy to uh, talk to them about that. Uh, for where it's going, but um, I think we did see in the past election one organization, one very left-leaning organization, uh, come in and uh, give money to hire people in the areas it chose to hire people, um, and I think we see the problems with that, uh, and quite frankly, I will tell you both sides of the aisle probably have a lot of interest uh, in making sure the number of organizations, uh, 501c3s and others, don't jump into that field in the next election. Uh, in the areas they deem uh, appropriate to, to uh, have additional staff. I would also comment on that, that I think 
and the, there's two appropriations chairs in here, but I don't believe there's any prohibition on any organization donating to the general fund, and then the legislature could appropriate those funds. <laughs> Which I'm not saying, Senator Warren Daniel, that's who spoke there at the uh, at the end with that uh, last comment. I'm not saying he listens to this podcast, but I I would point out I said the same thing <laughs> back in March. When I was interviewing Hayden Ludwig, and we're going to revisit some of those, uh, some of the portions of that interview, because it is important. This is what this bill is about. okay? and Democrats, like you heard from Senator Marcus there, she's saying, well, we we didn't give them enough money. And so we don't want to, you know, stiff arm this money if it's coming in. We don't want to just automatically prohibit and reject all this money. We might need more money. And they and if they need more money, this is a great way to do it. And she's like, oh, I mean, of course, we should be worried about any strings being attached. It's I mean, yes. You should worry about there being strings attached, but you should also worry about the rise of these, you know, nonprofits, these dark money groups that would now be directly involved in funding elections, like the actual operations of it. And I understand right now Democrats are all about, oh, no, there was no problems with any of the the elections. But historically speaking, Democrats they usually take issue with the uh, uh, with the administration of elections, right? The, I went over this the other day. In presidential races, the norm for the last 20 years, whenever Democrats lose, is to say that the election was rigged, okay? So what do you think happens if you've got a bunch of right-wing organizations funding election administration in states where Democrats lose? Do you think they have a different tune they may be singing at that point i do i do um here's a tune that you can sing it's i saved money i mean you can work on the melody however you would like um but if you go to mattress man you can sing that tune and you're going to get a great mattress you could also add another verse in there about like how great the sleep is it's a restorative healthier sleep with your built more mattress i I don't know i mean it it's a work in progress, okay? Mattressmanstores.com is the website. Get a free box spring at uh, Mattressman when you buy a mattress from the Biltmore Collection. Uh, this is uh, made by Restonic, the Biltmore Collection made by Restonic, and so they get five support zones for correct spinal alignment, edge-to-edge sleep surfaces. This is New World exclusive technology that is uh, you know, blended with uh, Old World craftsmanship. And a luxurious design, the Billmore Collection, inspired by our very own local landmark, only at Mattress Man. It's an exclusive retailer of the Billmore Collection. And uh, they've got Synchrony Finance uh, with them. So that means you can get a mattress for no money down, no interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants. They've got all sorts of flexible financing options, like uh, you can finance for $27 a month and no interest for 72 months. Isn't that amazing? That's a great deal. It's at Mattress Man. Four stores in Asheville, Hendersonville, and Arden. And uh, they got five-star local delivery service, nationwide shipping, a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference for yourself at Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. Back to the committee hearing where Senator Paul Lowe expressed concern that banning this kind of money, it's going to hamstring boards of elections in the future. COVID was something we hadn't experienced, and we all know that. Uh, And because of it, there was a scare, I guess, that there wasn't enough resources for certain counties. Um, My concern is that 
if we take out the opportunity for outside funding, which I don't have an issue with, we need to make sure that counties don't have this problem. More spending, more spending. And I'm not sure spending. how that should <laughs> should be done or how we should look at it, but I think something ought to be done. And I had this conversation with Senator Newton on yesterday morning. We talked about this in brief, that something should be done to make sure that all counties have what they need to run their elections. Because if we don't, then we're going to have all this other stuff. And so, I, and I'm not, I don't know what the best way to do that is. Um, I just heard a number this morning from my colleague of, of 97 counties. If that's what it is, that's what it is. But I think that we need to find a way, and I believe this, as a state, we need to find a way to deal with it. Because if you're going to have elections that don't get the appropriate funding, in various counties, that's a problem. So we got to figure out how to best deal with that. So I'm saying that some kind of way, this body should try to figure it out. I think that's something we should do. All right. Republican Senator Jim Perry questioned the financial sense, though, of maintaining the level of funding for the boards of elections for these elections um, that we saw last year. I know it's certainly my hope, and I think of all the committee members, that what we just experienced was a once-in-a-lifetime event, um, something never before seen and hopefully never seen again. Uh, it, it, to suggest that funding needs to be established at those levels on a go-forward and the state would be responsible, it, it would be like a business having a huge spike during a busy season and staffing up for that huge spike they've never seen before, and then carrying the same amount of labor whenever volumes go back down to normal levels. It's just not something that, that we would do. Right. And I, I, I do think, should we encounter another unforeseen second-in-a-lifetime event uh, and something was necessary, we would have the ability to react. And there were some giggles on your comment about there's no prohibition about giving money to the general fund. Um, you know, that could actually be a middle ground on something like this if they're really upset, because if the concern is resources won't be there, that would be a way to handle it, that money could be given to the, the general fund, to the right. general assembly, if the need existed, and uh, the general assembly could appropriate at that time. But again, you know, we, we're reflecting on once-in-a-lifetime events uh, and we, I don't think we really established that as a baseline. Right. So th this is this is the middle ground. This would be the compromise position. If you've got a uh, a five hundred one c three like funded with Zuckerberg's money, and they're like, we want to help administer elections. Like, okay, write your check and give it to the state. You can do a little ceremony, have one of the, you know the the oversized checks and everything, and you're going to donate you know five million dollars, whatever it is. Well, then that goes to the treasury, and then the state would allocate the money to the counties based on whatever criteria uh, that they, you know, that they set. And you could work with them to make sure that the criteria is acceptable to you before you make the donation. You could do that rather than go and 
only, you know, okay, hey, Mecklenburg County or Buncombe County, uh, you guys are, you know, big Democrat strongholds. How much money do you need for your for your efforts? It's a it's a better way to do it. Um, this actually is sort of the along the same lines as uh, a lot of uh, Republican responses to Democrats who say, you know, we need to raise taxes more. And it's like, look, you can fund extra if you're rich. You can give, and usually this is said to like the really rich people, like Warren Buffett, my secretary pays more taxes, whatever. Well, donate more of your money. You can do that. You can give as much money as you want to the IRS. There is a link on the website. You can do that. If you feel like you're not paying enough to the U.S. federal government, you can donate more money. It's not, I don't think it's deductible, <laughs> but but you can do that. All right, Senator Marcus then responded. It sounds good now to say if the, if elections, if we need more money for elections in the future, we'll handle that. The General Assembly will handle that. But I believe it's irrefutable at this point that we didn't handle it for 2020. That is evidenced by the fact that these counties, some of them run by very Republican groups, said, yes, please send us the money we need to 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 um, they were doing things like needed more staff to assemble a lot more absentee ballots or machines that counted those ballots, poll workers, pens, masks. We we didn't help them. And I and I hate to think about what would have happened if these private groups hadn't stepped in and offered the money. We would have had spikes in COVID cases, poll workers who got sick and maybe died. Um, and who knows what it would have done as far as access to the ballot, which I agree with Senator Newton is a major governmental function. And we and we didn't do it then in a global pandemic, which I don't understand why we just said, well, we'll leave it up to counties to figure it out. And luckily, these groups stepped in. And I'd also like to point out, I have not heard, I know of no evidence that, that there was anything more than an appearance of impropriety. There were no strings attached to this money. It wasn't like counties could say, we're going to use this money to reach out to, to voters who tend to vote Democratic or something. There, the, those are the implications. But that did not happen. As far as I know, this was for pens, for masks, for poll workers, and for counters. And so um, unless there's some evidence of that, I, I, again, I would restate I am concerned about cutting off this potential revenue when we when we have seen that this body doesn't come to the help of counties that need it to run a safe and secure election. All right. So a couple of things. First off, she says there was no evidence that money was used for counties to do targeted outreach of Democratic voters. The money was only used for pens and poll workers, masks and counters. Um, that's not true. There is evidence that the money was used for counties to do targeted outreach. I'll explain in a second. Senator Chuck Edwards from Hendersonville said that uh, Henderson County said that there's at least one board of elections in his district that had money left unspent from the COVID relief funding. So uh, the state, I mean, money did go to the states. It did not. It, now the, the or mo- money went to the states and the states then uh, directed that money to counties to administer the elections to help them. So there was money that flowed. It just wasn't enough. That's Marcus's point. And. That's a fair criticism. Like, I'm not going to defend the General Assembly here. If they didn't fund the counties to the level they said they needed, then that's on them, right? They don't get to now turn around and say, well, we'll totally fund it when you didn't, right? Now, that being said, um, do you think there might have been some counties? Again, Democratic boards of elections that in all the counties, all the counties are controlled by Democratic appointees, okay? So there isn't a single Republican 
uh, Board of Elections in any county in North Carolina right now, right? So do you think, though, that there might have been, I don't know, some advantage to asking for more money when you might not have needed it if you were Democrats? I mean, just just for the sake of argument, just entertain the idea. Is it possible, just spitballing here, but is it possible that some political appointments on the boards of election might have thought there would be a partisan advantage to making a pitch for more money and then not getting everything that they asked for. Now, that's a more nefarious motive. Um, Do you think there might have been, I don't know, something that's inherent in the political ideology, the philosophy of people who are Democratic appointees? Uh, Do you think that there's something inherent there about them that says, I need more money? I would submit yes. I think generally that Democrats tend to like to spend money more than Republicans, just in general, as a general philosophy. And so uh, there may be something there that all the boards of elections may say, we need more money, we need more money. And there's a there's a partisan advantage to making this pitch and then not getting it, right? You could just say, oh, those Republicans, they didn't let us, they didn't let us fund the elections adequately. You can make that pitch, but also more, you know, non-nefarious, more, uh, you know, just benign motivation is just that they always think they need more money. (laughs) So they made this pitch for more money and then they didn't get the full ask. But there's an assumption that Marcus is making there is that whatever the full ask was, was appropriate. You notice, right? It's like that's that's the built in assumption there is that whatever the boards of elections asked for in all these different counties, they should have gotten because it was an appropriate funding level. And that's not actually proven to be true. It might be, but it hasn't been proven to be true. Um, Unlike this, Old Grouch's military surplus is the place to go for real U.S. military surplus. That is true. And it's very easy to get to. Um, He's uh, right off the interstate. He's in downtown Clyde um, on Main Street, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. Um, So if you are heading, you know, to Maggie Valley, you're heading to Cherokee, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, you're on your way into Asheville or whatever, um, just off exit 27 on I-40. It's so easy to drop in. Uh, And then you can also, you know, check out some of the other shops in downtown Clyde, like the Boutique Gift and Clothing Shop. It's Uh, Right next door to Old Grouch's, it just opened up, and so not to assign any kind of preference uh, preferences for genders and such, but you could be checking out the surplus store while your significant other is next door at the other shop. Just saying, it's possible, okay? It's uh, something for everybody. Uh, In downtown Clyde, Old Grouch's military surplus, duffel bags, MREs, backpacks, thermal blocking, camo, netting, canteen cups, uh, or canteen cup stoves, rather. Uh, so camp stove, whatever. It's pretty cool. It, like, disassembles, creates a stove. Anyway, all sorts of really cool military surplus. Uh, check it out at oldgrouch.com. That's oldgrouch.com. Um, finally, uh, on this, our friend Andy Jackson from the John Locke Foundation. He spoke during the open comment period at this committee hearing. The question to consider here is whether there was partisan intent and a partisan effect in the distribution of private election funds in the 2020 general election. Uh, The answer to both those questions is yes. Uh, Much of the private funding in 2020 came from the Center for Tech and Civilian Life, Civic Life, sorry, uh, an advocacy group founded by employees of the new organization, Organizing Institute, which is uh, formerly supported Democratic and progressive groups. Uh, They 
received much of their money from this cycle from Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla Chan for the 2020 election. Was there a partisan effect in North Carolina? The answer again is yes. While the CTCL gave to both Democratic-leaning and Republican-leaning counties in North Carolina, uh, just to cite one piece of evidence, the 33 counties that the organization gave funds backed Democrat Cal Cunningham, 52.7% uh, to 47.3%, while the other 67 counties that did not receive that funding uh, supported Republican Tom Tillis, 53.6% to 46.4%. So we have evidence of a partisan nature for this organization and a partisan effect. Um, there's often, it's a good idea to privatize services, but I think we should all agree that privatizing election administration funding, even partially, is not a good idea. Okay, so that's Andy Jackson from the John Locke Foundation. And uh, I think he's right. Like, you've got two issues here, the partisan intent and partisan effect of the private funds. And he says yes, and he cites this is work we actually discussed with him back in March, um, that the CTCL, the Center for Technology and Civic Life, um, founded by former employees of the New Organizing Institute, which was uh, an organization that trained digital organizers for democratic and progressive groups. And uh, he cites this stat here, and I'll give it to you again because numbers are always difficult on the radio, but 33 counties out of the 100 in North Carolina got money from CTCL. This is the Mark Zuckerberg-backed organization. 33 counties got the money. And those 33 counties went for Cal Cunningham over Tom Tillis. And the other 67 counties that did not get the money, they went for Tom Tillis over Cal Cunningham. So what does critical race theory teach us? <laughs> what does the left teach us about disparate outcomes? I look at that outcome and I can say, this is your standard folks on the left, that the outcome is proof of the inherent bias in the system, right? So when I look at this is where the money went to and look at where the, uh, look at the election results, I'd say that it it had the intent and or it had the effect because of the outcomes, right? Your rules, guys. Sorry. Um, I've covered this story for months. Hayden Ludwig, the senior investigative researcher at CapitalResearch.org, uh, we spoke a couple months ago about this very group, the Center for Technology and Civic Life. Center for Technology and Civic Life, CTCL, is a Chicago nonprofit that received uh, $350 million from Facebook founder, billionaire Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Priscilla Chan. And it distributed this $350 million in, uh, we've calculated about 2,500 grants across the entire country. These are grants made to local county and city elections officials. And the idea is it's COVID-19 relief funds. They're supposed to help these beleaguered offices uh, with the election, because it was done in October, September. Um, but in reality, what we found is we crunched the numbers in a lot of battleground states and found that, yeah, it increased voter turnout, but it particularly vo increased voter turnout in big Democratic-leaning cities in really important battleground states. I mean, North Carolina is just one of them. We looked at Michigan and Arizona and places that either flipped or had incredible turnout for Joe Biden in the re recent election. So it was basically philanthropy, but not really. It was actually politics that was intended, I think, to have a partisan outcome that would help uh, Biden win in, in a lot of these states. So explain to me, these are grants. You say they went to all of these different organizations, or did they go to election offices? Did they go to both? What? Where did the money go? 
they went to government agencies. And this is what's so outrageous. It was one billionaire who effectively privatized the election in a lot of different places. And I say that, and I'm not exaggerating. For instance, in Philadelphia, we found a $10 million grant to the city of Philly. Well, Philly's elections budget's only $12 million. So it almost doubled the entire city of Philadelphia's elections budget. And we found a particular contract for all this. And among these different things are postage for mail-in ballots. This was an election with a lot of mail-in ballots in a lot of different places. Um, and another thing for secure drop boxes. Now, that sounds perfectly fine. But what these were is they set up drop boxes, private collection bins, and in a lot of big cities like Washington, D.C., I saw them during the election, uh, Philadelphia, other places. And these were basically bins where anybody can drop off any number of ballots with almost no or no supervision at all. So the problem you can see is if somebody's ballot harvesting, which happens every election cycle, people go to prison for this every election cycle. If somebody's ballot harvesting in a place like Philadelphia or in Raleigh-Durham, for instance, right, you can drop off these any number of ballots in this private collection bin and you don't have anybody supervising you. If you're committing voter fraud, there's nobody supervising you. And I've even been told – I'm not a lawyer, but I've been told by lawyer friends that because it's not a post office box, the private box, that that doesn't even count as mail fraud if you're caught doing it. So CTCL basically opened the door for all these election irregularities in the year that was already rife with um, shenanigans that you know we've seen all these lawsuits flying back and forth on. This just exacerbated all of that. Right. You mentioned the lawsuits. North Carolina was the subject uh, of a lawsuit brought by, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It doesn't really matter. It's the it's like the retiree group inside the AFL-CIO. And they hired, you know, Mark Elias, the Democrat super lawyer, the elections guy, who also happened to coincidentally represent our governor, Democratic governor, in 2016 uh, during the recount uh, and, and all of the election stuff going on in 2016 when he beat the incumbent Republican Pat McQuarrie. But um, the lawsuit that got filed, it named the Board of Elections and Governor Cooper, but it also named uh, the Republican legislature. But then they cut the deal. This is the sue and settle uh, tactic, right? The strategy that they sue these governments and then the Board of Elections settled and Roy Cooper, they settled with the uh, plaintiffs and they cut the legislature out of the negotiation out of that settlement process. Um, And then, of course, it went into the courts and such, but it upended election law. And this we're not the only state that saw this happen. We got lucky in that uh, we didn't have the drop boxes, but ballot harvesting people in North Carolina are pretty aware of the ballot harvesting. We had a congressional election that got overturned because of ballot harvesting down in the North Carolina 9th District. And now they want to implement that, as I understand, as part of H.R. 1 up in Congress. They're like, hey, let's have ballot harvesting all over the place. But there are no controls. That's sort of a feature, not a bug, I would suspect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, we got to ask ourselves these questions, right? If so, we had a liberal billionaire who effectively privatized the election, right? What if it was a conservative billionaire who funneled three hundred fifty million dollars to you know a lot of red counties that went for Trump in the twenty twenty election? I mean, do we expect that CNN and MSNBC and a lot of the left-leaning commentators who are now saying that CTCL saved the election, by the way, do yeah. we expect that they, they would you know, praise this as saving the election? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think they, that there's the, the motive there to have a partisan outcome. And what's particularly frustrating is 
This was money channeled through a 501c3 nonprofit. That's like your church. That's like uh, your, your local Rotary Club. These are these are groups that are meant to be used for charitable purposes. I don't think anybody would consider funding elections a charitable cause. It's a, it's a political cause, right? And what's very interesting to me is when I look at all the numbers in this, and part of what my organization has done in looking at these states is trying to trace as many of these grants as we can because BTCL has given out no none of this information. We've had to cobble it together ourselves. When we trace these things together, and I find that the biggest grants flow to huge Democratic districts everywhere you look, and that doesn't matter the state, I would ask myself, well, the CTCL says its goal was nonpartisan. It just wanted to help people vote. But if its goal was partisan, if its goal was to help Joe Biden win, I don't think they would have done anything differently. And that's pretty damning, if you ask me. Is it possible that these um, Democrat strongholds, they got the money because they're the most uh, most densely populated, right? They're your urban centers. Of course, yeah. And, and, you know, to play devil's advocate, that's what I'm sure what they would say. However, when we look at the numbers here, we, we compare these things, right? Uh, I'll, I'll give you Virginia, for instance. Um, I looked at the, at the 10 most populous counties over the, in uh, Virginia. Most of them are along the Potomac or down in Richmond. I, I happen to live in Virginia. And I looked back over the last 20 years, and I saw that if you, if you pay attention to how the money was spent, it corresponds to how Democrats have increased – their voter turnout in places like Fairfax County, right along the Potomac River, which is ultra lobbyist country right there. So and then we flip over to other states, right, like um, Nevada. Nevada has, you know, a dozen, 15 different counties. Only two went to Joe Biden, Reno and Las Vegas. Well, what are the two counties that received CDCL grants? Reno and Las Vegas, right? Wherever we look, I'll I'll give you another one. Uh, Arizona, Maricopa County, which is centered on Phoenix has something like three-fifths of all Arizona voters. It also happened to receive the, the lion's share of all grants that went to uh, the entire state of Nevada, uh, Arizona, excuse me, and was the only place in that entire state that flipped from Trump four years ago to Biden in 2020. So, yeah, of course the money flew, went to the places with the most number of people, and yet I think it's, it's incumbent upon them to defend the fact that they, they, all their money went to the most Democratic-leaning districts. I have a feeling that if it was the other way around and these were places that Trump got the most votes and CTCL money went from a conservative donor, I have a feeling that uh, you know our friends in Congress, uh, our friends in the left-leaning media would be asking some really tough questions that conservatives would have to defend. Instead, they're praising these guys for their their noble gallantry in saving the 2020 election from Trump and the Republicans. So, and, and just to be clear, the um, the money is coming in form of a grant, and it's going to boards of election at the county level. I'm not aware. I mean, I guess this maybe I should have asked this first. Are they even allowed to do that? I guess they are because they did it. But that sounds I don't know illegal. Like I wasn't aware that you could just issue grants through a nonprofit to government agencies like this? Well, that's a huge question that's up up in arms right now. People uh. are up in arms over it. I mean, um, yeah, so I don't know election law very well, especially in all 50 states, but I can tell you this. There's at least mul- there's multiple lawsuits going on uh, against CTCL in a bunch of states. I know the Amistad Project, the Thomas More Society, I know they're involved in a number of these lawsuits that are contending CTCL broke the law, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't get into particulars on that. But mm-hmm. I do know there's at least four or five states that, if it's not already illegal, 
they're working on um, voter integrity, election integrity bills right now that are intended to make this illegal because they understand that that's a huge problem. If you can cycle effectively an unlimited amount of money through a nonprofit that's not even located in your state borders, and you can you can have any kind of outcome you want. I mean, that's that's hugely problematic, and it shouldn't matter whether if they helped Republicans, if they helped Trump, it shouldn't matter. That's a huge problem, and I, I think we need to ask ourselves if our if our elections um, officials their their budgets are not receiving enough money to do their jobs. Well, then the answer is to go back and reconsider how big their budget needs to be, not turning to a billionaire or a handful of billionaires to make up the shortfalls. And I would say, too, this is after the CARES Act that's supposed to be COVID-19 relief from Congress. This is after the CARES Act supplemented these yeah. budgets, as far as I know, to anybody who asked. So, so the defense of CDCL needed to make up these gaps is, is really paltry. In your analysis of uh, North Carolina, you say Joe Biden won 26 of the 100 counties, accounting for 65 percent of his overall votes in the state and containing just over half of the entire uh, population of those 26 counties. CTCL gave money to nine of them, <laughs> just nine. And then you break down that even further. Uh, Wake County is listed here. They gave money into Asheville, Buncombe County as well. Um, and w- which is kind of interesting to me because Buncombe County, it's not one of the largest counties in the state, but it is very, very Democrat, very Democrat, um, which sort of supports your argument, I would submit. Yeah, and if you if you look at the there's a gap between where we see the gains for both Trump and Biden over their 2016 numbers, and the gains everywhere across the board were higher for Biden. I mean, by a lot too. In some cases, I mean, he had 25 percent growth where Trump had, let's just say, 18 percent growth. And I would say two of those nine counties that doesn't sound like a lot, but those are the nine most populous counties in the state. And they also happen to receive something like 90 percent of all CTCL's funds across the entire state of North Carolina. So when you get down to it, they micro-targeted key places. Yeah, I know a lot of people live there, but it's also the places that you need to get a lot of turnout if you're a Democrat hoping to win. That's your entire strategy is banked on getting those there. And again, that's a partisan outcome. You know, if they're going to defend this as we were nonpartisan, you had a partisan outcome. I don't think that, that they would be letting us get away with it on the conservative side if the same thing was true. I just can't imagine that. I know how the left works, and, and they would not. They would call that hypocr- hypocrisy. So $350 million sent to cities and county board of elections. 2,500 grants went out, ostensibly to help everybody offset the costs of operating safe elections during a pandemic, right? And it just so happened that the money went to swing states and predominantly Democrat districts. And in North Carolina, all the counties that got the money went for Cal Cunningham. And we're supposed to just ignore that. Here's something you cannot ignore. The deals at General Equipment Rental, also the equipment. It's pretty cool. If um, if you are looking to do a project around the house or maybe you're a general contractor and you, you're like, oh, I, I could take this job and I can do the job. I just I don't have the tool, the piece of equipment that I need, well, just rent it. Go to General Equipment Rental, okay? They work with everybody, residential, commercial, whatever you need. If you're looking to rent a big piece of equipment or even just small power tools, they got you covered. 
Okay, go to generalrents.com, get 10% off your first rental, and you can check out their inventory. You can check out their financing deals that they've got. They want to work with you if you are looking to buy like a big ticket item, like a stand-on mower, right? They can do financing with you. Um, if you're you know, a, a landscaping company, you need one of the you know industrial commercial grade mowers. If you are a residential owner and you're like, I don't want to mow the yard anymore, I'm going to get an auto mower. They've got that too. The Husqvarna Auto Mower. It's so cool. It's like the Batmobile. It just drives around your yard and it cuts the grass all the time. And it's quiet. And by the way, if anybody tries to steal it, it shuts down. It becomes like a big paperweight. And uh, then the GPS locator goes and tells the cops where to find it. I mean, if you're not inside Asheville City Limits, because I don't think they're responding really to any calls anymore, right? I kid the APD. I kid. But uh, no, you got a GPS locator inside the thing. So you can find it immediately. How awesome is that? As awesome as general equipment rental. Yeah, family-owned and operated for three generations in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. And uh, pick up a chainsaw, a trimmer. Uh, you can get you know gas or power uh, or battery-powered uh, yard equipment. They are your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. Tell them you heard it here on the podcast. I appreciate that. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. Generalrents.com and think outside your toolbox. Back to Hayden Ludwig, a senior researcher, sorry, senior investigative researcher at CapitalResearch.org. And we're discussing the CTCL, the Center for Technology and Civic Life. And he said Zuckerberg basically blew up the CTCL from a tiny operation into a major player. They were a sleepy organization I had never heard of, you know, before September 2020. Give you a sense of how small they were versus and, and what a difference Zuckerberg's $350 million made, that was uh, his $350 million was equivalent to about a 25,000% increase in their <laughs> year-to-year budget. I mean, that's it's crazy numbers, right? right? But CTCL, they've been around for about uh, seven, eight years now, but they were tiny, not very well involved in anything. But their background is very interesting. So three key founders, I won't give you their names, I won't go into all their backgrounds, but three, three key founders that come out of the professional left and they worked previously for an organization called the New Organizing Institute. Now, this New Organizing Institute was an activist training center for left-of-center activists. Basically taught them how to create political strategy. It taught them how to organize, get out the vote campaigns. I mean, all the sorts of things that when I studied the, the professional networked left, the kind of stuff that I see is kind of the sinew of keeping all this stuff together. So the guys who are the brains behind CTCL, the supposedly nonpartisan group that's only interested in having really good election turnout for everybody, you know, these are people who come out of, you know, the, they're creatures of the professional left. They're paid to basically help Democrats win elections. So they should tell you a whole lot about um, anything they're going to do is going to be focused on a kind of partisan outcome. You quote the Washington Post describing this organization as the Democratic Party's Hogwarts for digital wizardry, <laughs> which yeah, I, just, exactly. I, I just want to scream, read another series of books besides Harry Potter. Sorry, that's the Gen Xer in me coming out. <laughs> um, the left's think tank for campaign know-how. Right. So I would submit that if three 
uh, uh, three conservative activists out of a Koch brother funded organization were to set up a nonprofit and then funnel money into boards of elections, um, which I mean, I would I would venture to guess they probably were hiring staffers and stuff. And I guess people would volunteer, quote unquote, to go help. And that opened up the, uh, the it opened up potential employment slots for folks and volunteer slots for folks who are part of this organizational effort to go and volunteer and do this work to help them out, right? I, I would assume so. If you got all this money for drop boxes, you could then have people go out and, you know, harvest the ballots, even though in North Carolina, it's still technically illegal. Um, is there any connection between staffing levels or is this just a money play? Well, there is. I mean, I found um, budgets from CTCL for its grants that include temporary staffing. Well, that may sound innocuous. It may be innocuous. But when you supply that kind of funding to these organizations, you're also, because money is fungible, you're freeing up resources to do other things like these drop boxes. Would those drop boxes have permeated American cities if we didn't have CDCL funding? I don't think so because they're entirely private. You know, and, and the other thing of this, too, is when you have big turnout like this, it makes it easier for PACs and campaigns and other groups like that that exist basically to mobilize people, bust them to the polls, that sort of thing. They're making their job a lot easier. I'm not saying it's bad for people to go out and vote. Of course not. But I'm pointing out that it's they're expecting us to be very naive and ah shucks about this whole thing. But I tell you, I study these guys for a left. They, when it comes to an election, they don't like take anything for granted. They don't leave anything to chance. And so when CDCL comes in there and gets a tax break, by the way, because they're a C3, 501C3, to fund all these elections offices, really, it's just one component in a larger coalition of groups that each has its specific job, and the outcome is always the same. Elect a Democratic politician so that we can get some kind of policy change. And I just I just have to laugh because you're right. If it was a Koch-funded organization doing this whole thing, we would you'd find California, my home state, New York, Illinois, they'd probably be the first state saying we need to bar this from ever happening again. Instead, they want want to say nothing negative about it. It's just too rich. Is there any indication that other organizations of the right are now looking at this model and saying, you know what, we should do this too? Because if it doesn't get outlawed, then it requires there to be a response of, I, I would think, a comparable nature, right? Yeah, it's a good question. Not to my knowledge, no. Um, you know, as far as I can tell, conservative folks right now are just, they're very concerned about this. And, you know, I would say, too, there shouldn't be conservative organizations that do the same thing as CTCL, because what it's doing really is, even if the C- if, even if I'm wrong and all the CTCL did was perfectly fine, it was, a, it was a great election, nothing to worry about, the public confidence in these things is being undermined when you start to outsource the jobs and the funding for our elections officials to private organizations. You know, people don't trust that outcomes in elections can be taken seriously anymore, right? They look at it more and more like people looked at elections in the Soviet Union or they look at them in communist China. And if the right starts doing that with the left, it'll only increase the rate at which people no longer take it seriously. So, no, I think the answer is to borrow this from happening in the future and say, look, we have elections officials for a reason. We don't rely on private organizations to run all these things. We keep it above board and out in the open and totally transparent. Now, on a different note, um, we do. there's a big disparity between the left and the right on these voter registration organizations. 
Um, right now, the IRS is so foggy about the rules involved in whether a, a nonprofit can go register people to vote, not tell them how to vote, but register them how to vote, that the right basically never does it, and the left shamelessly does it. I mean, there's hundreds of organizations that do nothing but try and get people registered to vote. Mm-hmm. And when you look at where they target, it's the big cities, it's separate. It's the things you'd expect that your strategy was to basically to help Democrats. Your strategy really was partisan. You would do exactly what they do. Well, right, because if you're going to go out and try to register people to vote in Republican country, you know, you probably will get guns drawn on you as you approach the property line. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a lot more walking, you know, it's a lot more walking per vote (laughs) than in the in the more densely populated areas. Uh, So, yeah. Oh, no. And that's always been that's always been sort of the um, uh, that's the conventional wisdom, right? That this belief that high turnout always helps Democrats, although I, I did see some analysis recently that that might not necessarily be the case because, you know, look at the high turnout, look how many votes that Donald Trump got in the last election. Um, so that may not necessarily be the case. But um, as you mentioned, they, they've been engaged in this kind of activity for a long time. And you kind of touched on the counter argument a, a minute ago. So I'll just ask it plain, which is, isn't this a good way, though, to get people to go vote? Why do you not want people to vote? That'll be the argument, right? Why do you want to right, stop people right. from voting? Voting. Yeah, right. I know it's a good it's a natural question. I, I would point out, you know, that's actually the less important point. The real the really important point is the mechanism that's going into this. Right. I mean, for 100 years, really even longer than that, going back to the, the beginning of this country, we've had a robust nonprofit sector because Americans don't turn to government to solve problems when private citizens can solve problems, which is why we have a tax break for things like churches. Right. So it's a good idea. We reward that kind of generosity. You don't find that anywhere else in the world. Well, what we've done is uh, we, we've created this entire robust nonprofit sector that then these professional left-wing activists have come in and warped. They've taken over and said, hey, great. Look, we can get a tax break to do exactly the things we want to do. We don't have to report our donors. We can, we're can. we really cagey about exactly how we spend all our money. This is really great because we can still do everything we want to do, and it's now incentivized. And the problem is, is that maybe at one point it was a good idea for the IRS to say, sure, nonprofits can register people to vote. But when the outcome has been so clearly one-sided that it's no longer a charitable activity, I mean, I don't know anybody who would consider busing people to the polls to be an act of charity. We think of charity, we think of feeding widows and helping orphans. I mean, this is a political act. And we can't we can't afford to be so naive about these things anymore. So I would say, you know what? It's not about getting more people to vote or fewer people to vote. The real issue is they're abusing a system that was set into place to to help people's lives, and they're they're abusing it for political gain. And it's got to stop. It's been going on for decades, and it's just it's outrageous. Also outrageous. A bad real estate agent. When you're trying to sell your house and not uh, getting any traction, not getting any people coming through, then uh, you might need a new real estate agent. Call Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. The number is 828-333-4483. That's 828-333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. This is the real estate agent that I use, Christy and I use, to buy our house. She outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state, and she has homes in all price points, buyers lined up, put her and her all-star powerhouse team to work for you, 828-333-4483, and uh, give her a call and then start packing.
So the final, the third and final uh, piece of legislation that cleared committee is the Election Integrity Act. And this one uh, sets the deadline for absentee ballots to arrive so they can be counted. And that deadline would be set at Election Day. So you got to have the ballot in the Board of Elections by the close of business on Election Day. Uh, Right now, there is um, a deadline of three days after Election Day. And there has to be a postmark before Election Day. So you can see it's way more looser now. And then, by the way, there was the collusive settlement that was reached by the Attorney General, along with the Democratic plaintiffs, Democrat Attorney General, Democrat Board of Elections, Democrat plaintiffs that sued and said, we want more time to count all of the ballots because, uh, you know, uh, Trump and his postmaster general are trying to delay the mail delivery and all of this. And that was a complete conspiracy theory. But like with all blue and on conspiracy theories, they are treated as mainstream. They are treated as legitimate. It was not legitimate. We've gone over this before. I've covered this before last year, before the election, about the Postal Service. Um, So there is a podcast about that you can look up as well. Uh, This is a blue and on conspiracy theory. That being said, um, if you are trying to vote absentee, you need to make sure that the ballot arrives by Election Day, according to this law. Now, the Democrats say this is disenfranchising because... You should be able to mail your ballot any old time as long as it gets there within whatever timeline, whatever whatever time frame after Election Day that they determine is okay. And right now they think three days is okay in the law. They'd actually like to see it go to uh, 12 days to add an additional nine or whatever. Like, I don't know where the limiting principle is. Like, when does the election end then? Because if you're not going to stop at 12 days, why stop at 30? Why not have 60, right? The deadline, like moving the deadline, it's like mailing a birthday card to me, right? Does it need to arrive before the birthday uh, for it to be on time? Does the card need to arrive to you by your birthday for the card to be on time? Or does the postmark make it count as on time? Christy does a ton of mailing, uh, like for real, like birthday cards. We send them out all the time, and uh, it's actually in our household budget. I suspect we're keeping Hallmark afloat at this point. Like they've already inquired about making a bust of her uh, for their corporate headquarters. But um, does the card need to be there by the birthday? I think Christy would agree with me when I say, yes, it does. It has to be there before the birthday or land on the, it has to land in the mailbox on the day of, or else it's late. And I think that that's uh, sufficient. I think that's an appropriate deadline. That is a wrap for the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, subscribe at thepetecalendarshow.com. We'll talk with you later and don't break anything while I'm gone.